2.99. Why are you judging my daughter's diving? I wasn't talking about her. I was finalizing this month's special at Palo Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. 2.99% interest for 10 years. Wow, 2.99. Yeah? Visit PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Yes. Oh, so we might have reset the password for the text line. Okay. That'd be nice to tell some of us if we've reset the te- password for the text line. So... Uh, so let's kind of starting out here. Um, our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Ekinet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. First of all, thanks to everybody who participated in our online auction yesterday. Um, and it was so great to see so many of our partners out at the club at Lock LaBelle. It was a wonderful day, and I know lots of people had a lot of fun playing golf. Someday... Someday I'm going to figure out a way that I can end up playing there instead of just simply doing the the broadcasts. So who knows? Okay, let's get started. Now, normally I would give a PG-13 warning. I mean, that that's typically what I would do for a topic like this. But, you know, there's no real reason for giving a PG-13 warning because if your kids go to the Wauwatosa schools starting in kindergarten, you are going to be dealing with these various concepts. Now, let me say at the start, I don't have a problem with teaching sex ed in schools, but I think there is is a time and a place for, for everything. And I think it's so interesting because five or ten years ago, if you would have discussed this, everybody would have thought you were crazy. Everybody would have thought you were crazy. But now, because we've all become woke and because this is what people think that we should do and this is where modern education is, it's six people out of seven on the Wauwatosa School Board adopt their new sex ed curriculum. Now, I I want to just read a portion of this. I've got a link to the story. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I've got a link to the the story. But but here are some of the things that are going to be taught in Wauwatosa schools. This is the way Channel 6 reports it. Wauwatosa's new human growth development curriculum will require kindergartners to know these body part names, penis, vulva, and anus. Okay, th- this is, you, you go to kindergarten, and, and they are going to have instruction that talks about penises and vulvas and anuses. Um, kindergartners will also learn about safe and unsafe touches. Okay, second graders. Wauwatosa's second grade plan addresses gender stereotypes. This is for second graders. Students would be asked if certain toys or jobs are for boys or girls. The lesson plans say, for example, some people say only girls should play with dolls, but boys can play with dolls too. But sometimes we are still told that only boys should play with a certain toy and only girls should play with a toy. That might happen with clothing activities or jobs as well. All right, I don't necessarily object to the concept, but why are we teaching this in second grade? And here's where it gets good. Third graders. So what's a third grader? We're talking eight years old, maybe eight or nine on the issue of transgender students. 
Okay, so we're, we're going to be talking about transgender students in third grade. You might feel like you're a girl, even if you have body parts that some people might tell you are boy parts. And you might not feel like you're a boy or girl, but you're a little bit of both. No matter how you feel, you're perfectly normal. Third graders would also learn about consent and body image. Okay, this is before kids even go to puberty. We're going to be talking to them in the schools about transgender students. Sixth graders. Sixth graders, according to the website in Wauwatosa, would define different types of sexual activity. Again, I I would give this a PG-13 warning, but this is what's going to be taught to kids under the age of 13. Sixth graders would define different types of sexual activity. Quote, vaginal, oral, anal sex, and other forms of sexual activity, including masturbation. End quote. They're teaching that in in sixth grade as part of the classroom. The same grade would learn about a range of identities related to sexual orientation, e.g. heterosexual, bisexual, lesbian, gay, queer, two-spirit, asexual, pansexual. The lessons would justify abstinence as the safest, most effective method of protection from disease and pregnancy. Well, that's that's refreshing. But we're this is what we are going to be teaching in in sixth grade. Grade. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here, Here is, I guess it's my question, and I understand I'm hopelessly old-fashioned when it comes to this, but, but I thought schools were and should be all about the three R's, reading, writing, arithmetic, which interestingly only one of those starts with, with an R, but reading, writing, and arithmetic. And in an era where you have kids that are coming out of school unable to do basic math, and functionally illiterate. The idea that we are going to be teaching sixth graders as part of the school curriculum about various types of sexual activity, um, the fact that we are going to be teaching kindergartners about, okay, this is what this body part is. That's what that party body part is. The fact that we're going to be teaching second graders about gender stereotypes and third graders about transgender students before the kids even reach puberty. It's, now, again, if, if you want to offer these classes in high school and things like that, I mean, I, I understand that you have this kind of curriculum, but what is the need and what is the purpose for I don't know, teaching seven-year-olds about transgender students when they haven't even gone through puberty. What is the point of, in a classroom, teaching kindergartners about, okay, these are our various body parts? And what is the point of teaching sixth graders who are too young to legally be sexually active about, okay, this is how you perform this particular sex act, and this is what this sex act is, and this is what this is, and this is, you know, this is all about, like, self-gratification. Is this really the role of the schools? And if so, why? 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line.
855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, I'm not one of these guys that says, okay, there, there should be no role for sex education in the schools. But it's an idea to say, okay, we're, we're now in the Wauwatosa schools. We're going to devote class time to teaching sixth graders about various forms of sexual activity. We're going to require kindergartners to know the names of various body parts. I mean, look, if, if parents want to do that, that that's fine. If parents want to decide when this conversation is appropriate, I think that's perfectly fine. You do it in conjunction with your, your pediatrician and things like that. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Sandy. Sandy, you're on WTMJ. Hey, hi, Jeff. How you doing? Good. Does this make sense to you? No, and my head is about to explode. And I have a valid question for the Wauwatosa School Board. What are you trying to accomplish here? I don't understand their thinking, and what are they trying to achieve? And they wonder why the, the um, nurse's office is filled with anti-anxiety meds for these kids. They, they are do, they're teaching these kids to be screwed up. I mean, I, I, I have more than one person that I know where they have young teenagers, and suddenly these girls are cutting their hair off, and, gee, I think I want to be a boy. Mm-hmm. And, and this is all being taught in our schools. And I can't imagine a parent agreeing to these teachings. And, I, and anybody that would agree to these teachings, I would ask the valid question, why? Well, well, right, and, and we're talking about it at a third grade level. So we're, we're talking about having concept. We're, we're dealing with like the transgender students, and look, and I appreciate that they're transgender students, and I, I get it. That's a very, very small percentage. But you know, why are we teaching this to to third graders? And isn't this something that okay, maybe you, it starts at, at home and things like that? And why, oh, why for kids just starting to go through puberty? Why are we devoting class time to teaching them about different ways that you can have sex it's just it's it's mind-boggling here this is the class today we're going to explain this is how you do this and this is how you do that and if you don't have a partner this is what you can do i mean what what i I, I mean i just i don't understand it's almost like they're promoting it it's not even teachings when i'm 61 years old when i was in sixth grade we learned about the reproductive system in our bodies and our menstrual cycle Look at where we've come today. This makes me sick, and I'm really glad I don't have any young kids in school. Now, th- thanks for calling. I, I mean, I really, I, I think, I make a prediction that 10 years from now, we're going to look back on things like this. And people are going to say, have they lost their minds? And I understand this is the, this is the progressive agenda and this is the, this is the, you know, the, the liberal mantra. Somebody says, well, why don't you think kindergartners should know what their anus is? Well, okay, if, if that, I just, I object to the schools teaching that. Mom and dad can decide, you know, what, what they want to do with this. I object to the sixth graders being taught how to engage in various types of sexual activity, which, like I say, last time I checked was illegal for people to do it. Jeff, I consider myself a moderate democrat this topic is completely ridiculous and flat out wrong kids this young should not be exposed to this i have a seven-year-old daughter no way i would allow you know this to go on jeff this is another completely idiotic proposal by progressives who are convinced that they are doing great work for society while it's quite the opposite they're nuts Yes, this is, you know, this is nuts. One of our texters says, Jeff, the Catholic raised schools in Tosa, St. Jude, St. Joe's, Christ King are all full. 
Well, maybe there is some correlation to that. Um, Jeff, I taught my ch- the children the proper names for body parts, mostly so they wouldn't be uncomfortable saying it when they are older. Well, okay, that that's that's fine. If you as a parent decide that you want to talk about issues like transgender and, and you want to have these conversations with your kid, that's fine. I, I that that's to me. A perfect role of a parent. If you decide that, you know, by the time that your child is in third grade, that you think your child should have a conversation about what transgender is all about and try to explain it to him. If you want to have a conversation, that conversation about the birds and bees, and you want to explain different sorts of sexual activity to your child, that that's that's all well and good. I don't object to that. I do think it's crazy. Yes, that is the word I use, crazy, to... um. Teach this in the schools. Jeff, I I think, you know, the the phrase they said, this makes me sick. These young, innocent kids will either be more confused or they will be more promiscuous. Um, You know, we always thought that what is taught in the school is good and right, but, but that's not what this is. Jeff, teaching sixth graders different sexual activities is absolutely crazy. They shouldn't even be thinking about sex at that age. Well, maybe in sixth grade they are starting to think about the things, but I... I, I don't know. We're, we're going to have a class in, you know, self-pleasurement. I mean, I, OK, this is what this is and this is how you do this. Give me a break. Also, teaching third graders about transgender people is just beyond the pale. You're going to confuse these young kids before they get a chance to develop. Yeah, I, I think, you know, there's a lot to that, that that's going on. Um, Jeff, I attended the meeting last night and had to sit in an overflow room due to students taking priority in the main room. I didn't even have a chance to speak. Jeff, it's absolutely absurd. These kids should be enjoying life and discovering the positive thing that life has to offer while learning the basic curriculum. Way too much information for young minds to decipher and deal with. Well, and that goes back to my basic premise here. When when last I checked, what was the purpose of schools? Okay, we, we were... You know, principally, you're teaching kids how to read, to write, to do basic skills and things like that. And again, I don't have an issue with with a human sexuality course at the right time. But why you feel a necessity to, I don't know, teach third graders about, you know, transgender type of issues and second graders uh, to address gender stereotypes and things of, of the like. Why does that need to be in the schools? Why don't you just kind of let that, that all sort out? And again, I appreciate that there's going to be a small percentage of kids who are who are transgender, and I think they, you know, in working with their parents, I, I think it's perfectly appropriate to deal with that. But you're going to screw up a lot of kids because you, you're going to have a lot of kids who, in third grade, before they've gone into puberty, they they don't look, they they don't know what they are, right? They they just they they don't know. Maybe they're going to be heterosexual. Maybe they're not going to be heterosexual. Maybe they're going to be whatever. But they don't know that yet. So why are you throwing these concepts at them? At this particular point in time and bigger point is, is that the role? Is that the role of the schools to do that? And and that's what the issue is to me. Mom and dad. I think you get to decide how you would do these things. And and again, for, for sixth graders, what, why we're having conversations about like different sexual activities. And this is how you do this. And this is how you do that. And this is what this is. And this is what that is. I, I mean, 
you know, really, what are we going to do? Are we going to like getting the versions of like Deep Throat and stuff? And then are we showing that in class? Okay, this is our film lesson here. You'll be able to see this going on and this going on and this going on. And yet this past six to one in Wauwatosa. Fine. This is you you get the school boards that you you deserve. and, And that's fine. I continue to believe and I understand that there's people out there and I'm hearing from some of you. Oh, this is just this is just education. People need to know this. Kindergartners need to know this. First graders, second graders. What's wrong with teaching sixth graders about how to perform different sex acts? Well, fine. I continue to believe, though. Like I say, 10 years from now, you're going to look back on decisions like they made last night, and people are going to think, are they absolutely crazy? This is one of these stories where if if all of a sudden you had a spaceship full of aliens that came down and, and landed outside the Wauwatosa school board last night and watched this particular discussion, they would leave convinced that there is no sign of intelligent life on Earth. If you want to see more about the details of this and the links to the, the whole curriculum that they have, I, I've, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner, 620. number of people on our text line like the spaceship analogy. Yeah, I mean, I'm just picturing, like, the Martians come down. They kind of hover. They're watching that school board meeting, and they're saying, well, this, this is what we need to do. We need to teach sixth graders how to perform various sex acts with others and by themselves. And I can see the two Martians looking at each other going, beep, 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 beep. Translated, these people are absolutely crazy. Let's leave. All right. The 2022 WTMJ Classic, hosted by the club at Lock LaBelle, was a huge success. Thanks to all those who helped us raise money for Special Olympics Wisconsin. And a special thanks to our partners, Culligan Water, Dave Drake Camp Heating, Evans Transportation, Griffin Automotive, Gruber Law Offices, Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin, Selzner Ernst, and Sit Means Sit Dog Training. We will continue to monitor what's going on in the freeway the um it's been closed since well for going on two hours now if you're just tuning in if you're trying to get from for example the city of milwaukee to the airport um you you might want to find an alternative route because southbound i-43 94 is closed at holt avenue in on on the freeway at Holt Avenue and between Holt and Howard it's closed everything is being diverted off the freeway so you might want to consider an alternative route like the the Lake Freeway down to to Layton or something like that the medical examiner's office which is on the scene they are saying it was a suicide so I I don't know the, the circumstances behind it but again they're describing as a suicide so somebody was killed on the freeway in a suicide effort. Now the, the again the, the lanes are closed. We don't we're not hearing how much longer that's going to last. But again, southbound lanes on I forty three ninety four at Holt in Milwaukee are closed, and that would be the route you would take if you're going to the airport or something like that. So again, if you don't want to get caught in that mess, my alternative would be. figure out a different way to get down there. And maybe the easiest one is, again, the the Lake Freeway, take it down to Layton and then go across with that. High inflation, recession threats, and a parade of bad news. It's enough to make you lose sleep. It's no secret many Americans are worried about the state of the economy. Join Dave Spano from Annex Wealth Management, along with our very own WTMJ's John McCure, for Navigating the Markets, a special webinar presentation. It is tomorrow, 
Wednesday, August 24th at 11 a.m. It's a one-hour, 30,000-foot view of current market trends with a discussion of what to expect the rest of the year. Sign up at WTMJ.com. Navigating the markets from Annex Wealth Management and 620 WTMJ. Speaking of the markets, bad day yesterday. Um, NASDAQ down about 300, the Dow down 600 today. Well, not great, but not as bad. Dow down 100 right now. NASDAQ is up about 30. What's going on is the uh, chairman of the Federal Reserve is supposed to give a speech on Friday, and this is just anxiety in, in ahead of that speech, and they're wondering, are they going to jack up rates substantially to try to deal with inflation? And nobody exactly knows, and so they're betting on these things. All right, the news that broke yesterday was that at the age of 82, Anthony Fauci, says that he is going to be stepping down from his leadership role at the National Institute of of Health. Um, Anthony Fauci, of course, he's spent about 50 years, over 50 years in, in public health, and it's been an interesting career for him. Anthony Fauci, I think, was instrumental at the early parts of, of the AIDS crisis in helping promote awareness of age, AIDS, and, and helping develop some of the treatments for that. Anthony Fauci, of course, for better or worse, is always going to be best known, though, for his involvement in the, the COVID re- response and his his public role in that. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you believe Anthony Fauci's legacy is going to be? Is it going to be primarily positive? Is it going to be primarily negative? Now, my take on this, and I invite your opinion, I'll, I'll tell you this. I've said this before. I, I think part of Fauci's problem over the last couple of years is I think he, he fell in love with seeing himself on television, and he just got himself overexposed to the point that you know he would do any interview that came along, and he'd say one thing on Sunday, and then he'd contradict it on, on Tuesday, and then he'd say something different on Thursday, and I, I think he ended up sending mixed messages. And I appreciate that science changes and that things evolve, but it doesn't evolve in the space of two days. I think Fauci would have been much better off taking a lower profile. I think also there was an element of what I'm going to describe as self-righteousness about Anthony Fauci and a refusal to accept alternate theories that, that I think hurt him. The Wall Street Journal has a real interesting you know, piece. You, you might remember last November, Fauci gives this interview where he says, it's easy to criticize, but they're really criticizing science because I represent science. That's dangerous. I represent science. All right, that, all right, I, I understand that, that science evolves, but, but different scientists have different positions on things. And to declare that you represent science and that you are somehow infallible, I, I think is, is a bad sort of thing. I, I think, you know, where, where Fauci went wrong is refusing to acknowledge early on that that maybe the approach that that we took was was not the the best <clears throat> approach um you know early on in the pandemic there were a number of scientists who suggested that blanket lockdowns just like like shutting shutting down the country 
wasn't the way to go about dealing with COVID. And we would have been better off with focused protection on, on the elderly and those at the highest risk. Well, you know, I mean, Fauci and a lot of people around him just said, well, that's not science. You know, that, that's, that's not it. That, that has to, we cannot even consider doing that. You know, this it's just ridiculous to focus on the, the most vulnerable. Now, the Wall Street Journal says the costs of this mindset have been severe and not merely economic. We know now that the states that locked down fared no better and sometimes worse than those that didn't. We also know that the vaccines, while invaluable against serious disease, didn't prevent the spread of COVID, even after multiple boosters. More honest candor would have been better for America's trust in public health authorities. And and I think that is that is a fair commentary. And it's not that Fauci was evil. It's not that Fauci was I, I, I that, that Fauci, I, I think, I guess I, I looked at this and I think, you know, we, we didn't know what we didn't know. But th- this idea that we're going to cling to certain things. And again, that, the whole concept of lockdowns, you know, we decided we were going to lock down this country. And now in retrospect, locking it down, I, I think a lot of reasonable people would say that that wasn't the way to go. By putting a more targeted response, we would have been better. Also, I'm all in, I'm a pro vaccine guy. I mean, I've encouraged people to get the vaccinations. But one of the things that we've seen as this has emerged is, especially with the variants, while everybody should be vaccinated, in my opinion, because if you get COVID, it it minimizes the consequences. What what we know now is, especially as you had those variants, the vaccines didn't stop you from getting some of the new incarnations of COVID, which again makes me wonder whether the way we should have been approaching this all along was to concentrate our efforts, recognizing that that COVID was going to be endemic, recognizing and concentrating our efforts on those who were the most vulnerable. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't think Fauci's a bad guy. Don't don't get me wrong. And I think, you know, five decades of public service, he gives a lot of credit. But I, I I think his legacy is mixed. 855-616-1620. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Bob. Bob, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi, Bob. Okay, lost Bob. 855-616-1620. Back with your calls in just a moment. I, I have, a again, a mixed legacy for Anthony Fauci. I don't think he's a bad guy. Um, I, I don't know that he walks on water. I, I think... There were mistakes that were made, and I think some of the the tunnel vision that was developed during the whole COVID thing, I think, you know, maybe it's indicative of how we need to approach these things in the future. And like I say, if it comes to these massive lockdowns, I think a lot of reasonable people could argue and still do argue that that wasn't the way to go about things. All right, back with your calls in just a moment. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case Eight five five six one six one six twenty. We're talking about the legacy of Anthony Fauci, and I, I actually I think it, it's I, I think it's mixed. First of all, fifty years in public health, and I think he deserves all the credit for that. I think his handling of COVID over time kind of wore out his welcome, and and I think that the fact that they they dug in their heels and to this day refuse to acknowledge that that maybe some of the things that we did were were unnecessary, and and the ridiculing of some scientists who said, hey, look, that what we should be doing is we should be concentrating our efforts on those who are most vulnerable instead of these broad sort of lockdowns. Jeff, to say Fauci was ignorant to COVID effects is just wrong. He had been working with COVID-type viruses for years. I believe he was completely 
driven by politics. Jeff, I think Fauci chose to politicize the pandemic. Everything that ended up following was his own fault. Um, Jeff, I don't have a problem with him, but I do think he had worn out his welcome. My friend Joel said he thinks Fauci should be charged and sent to prison. Now, that's that's he hasn't done anything like that. Jeff, I have mixed feelings about Anthony Fauci. When the pandemic began, I looked to him for wisdom or knowledge on the covid virus. I was grateful to see him standing on stage next to President Trump because it was obvious that Trump wasn't well schooled in the virus at all. However, as you point out, as the virus continued, there was ambiguity and missteps in the virus protocols. All in all, with the company so country so divided, I believe Fauci will have a 50 percent approval rating as his legacy. Hmm. That's um, interesting. Jeff, his legacy is even worse than his many COVID failures. Um, it's going to be a complete distrust of all public health officials for many, many years. I, I think that's that's overstating it. Um, Jeff, we learned a lot through the pandemic. Fauci did okay with the info that he had, got caught up in the limelight, though. And I think that's a fair comment. I really do think if he had taken a lower profile, things would have been better. Because I appreciate that science changes. And and I I was never critical of him for reversing his mask guidance. You know, in the beginning they said, no, masks don't help. And then, you know, based on new information, they, they, they changed that. And, and again, I appreciate that the science changes. But like declarations like, I am science. Well, Give me a break. Like I say, there were all sorts of really smart people who thought that we were handling the pandemic incorrectly. And to just dismiss them, I think, was a, did a huge disservice. And I'm not talking about the alternative treatments, but I'm just talking about where do you concentrate your resources and do we shut down society? And then I think, again, some of the conversations about the vaccines, and I, I'm a pro-vaccine guy, but not recognizing that, okay, These vaccines are not going to be the be-all, end-all. You want to get vaccinated because, let's be honest, it's going to protect you against the worst-case scenario, which makes it worthwhile, but it's not going to necessarily stop you from getting the variants. So I think the legacy is going to be mixed. Carol in Random Lake. Carol, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Carol. Something happened. Hi. Earlier, we uh, we agree on the Waukesha School Board. There's not much I agree with you on, but I do agree with <laughs> okay. you. Okay, the Tosa so School Board. Okay, I was I was happy that happened. Um, I I am glad to hear you say that you agree that science changes, and you know the mask thing changes. Mm-hmm. I and I agree also that Fauci spent probably too much time on TV, and hey, maybe he fell in love with that. But I also think that when you have the 45th president standing there giving bad information, wrong information, unscientific information, contradicting constantly, he needed to be the, hey, don't forget that, you know, this Mm -hmm. is what science says, guy. Mm -hmm. That's what I think. Well, and I think I, I think that that's fair that he was kind of the, the counterbalance to to Trump, and I'm sure, in fairness to him, that 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 wasn't an easy thing. Again, I, I think where where you and I agree is that if he had take, maintained a lower profile, and maybe not have been as definitive, um, his legacy might be a little bit better because I, I think some of the stuff that he did did in fact contribute to at least some of the distrust that people have for the the medical industry. I mean, I mean, let's face it, Carol, who comes out and says, I am science, really? 
Well, and I understand that. And until you said that, I did not realize that she said that. I, I get that. But at the same time, I feel like, you know, now we're two years after this whole thing that we forget in those days before mm-hmm. vaccines that we were using refrigerator cars as, you know, yeah. as morgues yeah. no. uh, in New York and things like that. And so I, I sometimes I, I sometimes think we forget pre-vaccine what it was really like. Yeah. And I think that's I mean, no. And I think that's fair. And that's that's why like I said, I. I, I am I am not one of these people who say, oh, Fauci's a quack and Fauci's a hack. I, I mean, I think we, in many respects, everybody was kind of flying blind. I, I do think, though, that we need to learn from stuff. And I think if you look back in retrospect, I think the decision, well, I mean, it, it it's objectively true. I mean, it's what the numbers show. You know, states that had the total lockdowns did not fare better in any sort of significant way than the states that didn't do the, the lockdowns. That That's just the reality. So to, to me, the question becomes, can we learn anything from that? And I don't think I, I don't think there was ill intention. I, I think, for example, with Fauci, that this is this is what they decided, and you know th- this was going to be it. But I-, I do object to the idea that you know anybody who wanted to argue other things. And again, I'm not talking about the bleach, and I'm not talking. I'm talking about you know, okay, maybe we need to develop direct our resources at the people who are really the most impacted on this, as opposed to just shutting down the economy and shutting down all the schools and doing this. Maybe if we have a more targeted approach, it would be better. To this day, I don't think Fauci is even willing to acknowledge that there was this other alternative that was out there. And a lot of really smart scientists thought about that other alternative. Um, regardless, you know, Anthony Fauci, uh, he's he leaves Look, 50 years, and, and you look back at what he did with, like, AIDS and, and in public health and stuff, and I don't know that it's fair to let the last couple years define him. I think that he did the very best he could. I think if he would have been a little less in love with microphones and cameras, his legacy would be better. I appreciate trying to deal with Donald Trump during this whole thing was obviously a, a very, very difficult sort of thing, so I cut him a little bit of slack for that. To me, it, it is a mixed legacy. I, I I think he did the best he could. Hopefully, we will learn from the things that he was right on, and we will learn from the things that he might have been wrong on, and maybe we also need to recognize that no one individual represents science. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. We will continue to keep you updated on, on this mess on the freeway because, I mean, I'm looking at the traffic cameras, and this happened about 1030 in the morning. It is what the medical examiner is talking about as a suicide investigation. Someone was killed on the freeway going southbound. And so the freeway is southbound is a full shutdown at, at Holt Avenue, and they're forcing all the cars off the road. The, the backup goes all the way downtown, goes back to National Avenue. So, again, a tale of caution. If you're, if you're leaving for the airport and you've got a 3 o'clock flight this afternoon and you're coming from, like, downtown or the north, do not do not assume that you're going to get there in time for your flight if you're on the freeway. My advice would be take an alternative route. If you've got to go to the airport, I would suggest if you're coming down, say, from north of the city, you just go east and get on the Lake Freeway and go down to Layton. Or there, there's other 
I guess, ways that you could get there if you go west. But you, you do not want to be on the freeway right now because it is it is a parking lot, and we don't have an idea as to you know when it's going to open up because, like I say, there there's a death investigation, and obviously that's going to take priority. So we'll continue to keep you updated during the course of the afternoon. But Alex was exactly right. Just avoid southbound 9443 at this point in time because again from the city that the traffic's already backed up they're saying like to national avenue because there is a full closure and i'm looking at it and cars are in single lanes for i don't know how long and they're slowly getting off on on holt avenue i don't know where they're getting them back on again but the, the bottom line is it's just not good so find an alternative route save yourself a lot of trouble and a lot of aggravation it's it was one of those examples where the movie was a lot better than the TV show. Can I see a show of hands that that the the TV show uh, the movie Friday Night Lights that starred Billy Bob Thornton? It's it's actually it's a it's a great book as well. What happened is the author of the book, his name was Buzz Bissinger. He took a year off and he embedded with this high school football team in in Texas, Odessa, Texas. And, you know, high school football is like a, um, well, it's sort of like a religion, forget sort of like a religion. It is almost religion in, in, in Texas. I mean, it's, and especially in a lot of these small Texas towns, Everything is built around the high school football games on Friday night where everything comes to a a complete stoppage and and the the conversations during the course of the day are are, and the course of the week are about the high school football teams. And the book, and I encourage you to read it, it's actually a very, very good read if you like stuff like that. Friday Night Lights followed this, this high school football team in Odessa, Texas during the course of the entire season. And at the start of the season, they were one of the favorites to win the state championship. And then there were a couple things that happened. The star running back ended up blowing out his knee, and that changed the whole thing. But it, it, the, the, the book was great. The movie was, I think, exceptional as well. And then they, they did a TV show. I don't think the TV show was anywhere as good, but it, it lasted for a couple of years. I, I bring this up because the, the subject of the, the principal character in the, the book was the high school football coach. His name was Gary Gaines. He was played in the movie by Billy Bob Thornton and a really, really interesting guy who spent decades kind of kicking around the football world. He was an assistant coach at certain high schools, uh, at certain colleges in Texas, and he was also a high school coach at various of the, the state powers over the course of his career. He passed away at the age of 73. So if you see these headlines and you're reading on the internet, Gary Gaines passed away that's he's he's the actual person that Billy Bob Thornton played in the movie Friday Night Lights and it was a really he was an interesting guy I had a chance to read a couple interviews with him he he did not like the book he felt the book did not fairly portray him I, I don't know if that's accurate or not but it was just an interesting character and um, it was also just an interesting reflection of just how how and I say this in a good way, you know, sports crazy, some parts of this country are, especially when it comes to, again, high school sports. Least surprising story of the day, day three or four, the city attorney's office has just apparently yesterday completed its its review of decrepit North Shore Shopping Center. If you'll recall, um, a week ago, there was a hearing that was held after the fourth fire at Northridge in the space of three weeks. The judge gave the owners of Northridge until last Friday 
to take care of a number of the obvious problems that were there, including 24-hour security, securing access points, removing all the rubbish, doing all these various things. I said at the time when that order came out, what, a week ago yesterday, that, that this, is a, this is a company that has hasn't put a dime essentially into that property for 20 years and like they're all of a sudden going to take a couple hundred thousand dollars and do all these improvements. No, they don't care about that building at all. And Friday came and went and there was no significant, if any, work. And now the city attorney's office has completed its review to the court um, after an inspection no 24-hour on-site professional security, no surprise. Access points have not been secured. The rubbish has not been removed from the property. Landscaping has not been cut back to appropriate standards. In other words, just as everybody predicted, they've done absolutely nothing. And now the company, should the judge choose to impose it, is subject to fines of $2,000 a day for contempt for failing to keep the deteriorating mall secured. I hope the judge drops the hammer on this lousy company, which has allowed this building to deteriorate over the course of the last 20 years. And I hope they expedite the efforts to tear the damn thing down before some firefighter dies because some neighborhood can breaks in yet again, sets a fire, and then the firefighters have to go in looking to try to see if any of the kids are inside. So least surprising story of the day and the week continues to be Northridge, um, no change at all, and hopefully the judge will drop the hammer on this company. Okay, when we come back, I want to discuss something that, at least according to the Washington Post, they think Joe Biden is going to do over the course of, well, between now and next Wednesday in what might be one of the most egregious examples of trying to buy votes in the history of the country. I'll tell you about it. We'll discuss. Stick around. Let us get right to this. If you have a student loan, You have not been required to make a payment on that loan for over two years. And the interest has stopped accruing on on that, that loan. It started because of the pandemic and all the problems that it was created. And it has gone on and on and on. And the pandemic has ended and people have gone back to work. But it has continued because there are some people in politics who are wrestling with, gee, you took out these loans. Maybe you should not have to pay for them. You've got the, the, the crazy wing of the Democratic Party, the, the Elizabeth Warrens in the world, who would like to see complete and total student loan forgiveness, well, that, that's, they poll on that, and it doesn't poll very well. Um, the moratorium is scheduled to end on September 1st, which would be a week from Thursday. So that means, you know, people would have to start making their student loan payments again. Joe Biden has been considering different things to do. And he appears intent. Well, this is the way that the Washington Post is reporting it today. Biden nears decision on canceling $10,000 in student loans as allies feud. And apparently they've moved off of like the 50000 number, but Biden appears to be settling on a plan that would cancel $10,000 in student debt for everybody that would have it. 
So far, the, the decision not to collect interest payments on the loans have cost taxpayers about 102 be as in billion dollars. That's the effect of this. The analysis is that if you suddenly canceled $10,000 in student debt, just took $10,000 off the top of what everybody owed, what you would do, first of all, is any gains in inflation that you might have gained from the interestingly named Inflation Reduction Act, that would, that would go. Um, canceling $10,000 in debt for everyone with federal student loans would settle the balances of roughly a third of the borrowers and cut total debt by at least half for another 20%. So that's it. In addition to you know that, they're still considering whether or not they would put income limits on this. And one of the proposals is if you've got a joint income of uh, over $300,000 a year, you would lose it. Individual income of over 150000 but they're not sure whether they can implement that or not. 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you have already paid off your student loan, you are a sucker. If, if... You, instead of going to college and taking out a student loan, you, I don't know, say started your your own business and um, took out bank loans to, I don't know, buy a car, a truck for your business or something like that, or, or got a small business loan to get yourself started and you owe money on that, you're out of luck. You're, you're a sucker because this isn't going to help you. If you decided that you were going to forego different things because you wanted to pay for for your kids. You wanted your kids to come out of school debt-free, so you you didn't go on vacations, or you didn't buy that nicer car, or you didn't, I don't know, you know, do the upgrade to your house or whatever because you wanted to pay for your kids' college education, and your neighbor, of course, didn't. Well, okay, you're, you're the guy that's a sucker because Biden is going to forgive a portion of that debt. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As this Washington Post story makes clear, the there's a lot of pressure on Biden to do this, but some of the more moderate Democrats are pushing back and they're saying, wait a second, you will – you're going to make some young people happy. They're going to be, oh, this is just great. You know, we, we've just had $10,000 of debt that just disappeared. But at the same time, you're going to hack off a lot of other people, including those people who have paid off their, their debts. So let's tee this up. Should the taxpayers, because that's what it is, should the taxpayers simply say to everybody out there who has student loan debt, Forget about $10,000. We're going to take that ten grand off. You do not have to worry about it. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in a moment. If Biden were to go ahead and try it. Now, there's a whole other question about we don't have kings in this country. How can you just, as a president, wave a magic wand and say, you know, ten thousand dollars in student loan debt is going to disappear from everybody who owes the money. I, I don't, I don't know how the president can simply just do that. And you know that there'd be inevitable lawsuits, as there should be. This would cost the taxpayers, they estimate, two hundred and thirty billion dollars, and it would fuel inflation because this is again two hundred and thirty billion dollars that now people don't have to pay back to the taxpayers, so that they can just start pumping into the economy again. Oh, what, when we've seen how all that works. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. This is just such a strikingly bad 
seems to me idea. It is unfair on so many levels. It is one of the most blatant attempts at vote buying that you're ever going to see. But I think there's going to be a huge backlash because I think most people aren't going to believe it's a good idea or that it's fair. Let's start with Julie in Kenosha. Julie, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think about all this? Well, I happen to have a current student loan for my doctorate degree, and uh, the payment comes out of my my checking every month, and the interest rate is low. Would I like $10,000 off? Well, sure I would. But is it worth uh, jeopardizing the economy of the United States? Right. No, absolutely not. And furthermore, I do have uh, two savings accounts for both my children for their college because I don't want them to be racked with debt. But basically, the bottom line is um, if you take out a loan, you need to pay it back. It's an individual responsibility. And I, I don't think that Biden has the right to say what kind of loans, like such a school, what if you didn't go to school? Well, well, right. I mean, that, that's what a good idea. Be <clears throat> right, Julie. That's a good idea. Let's say that that you have a, a young man who um, w- wants to go into business for himself. So, as I was saying earlier, so he goes and takes out a bank loan to to buy to buy the the truck that he's going to start his landscaping business with, and some of the equipment, things like that. Well, should we forgive that ten thousand dollar loan? And if so, and if not, why not? You know, because he's doing that to get his career started. Why? Why do you get the ten grand if you've decided to go to college as opposed to again doing doing something different? It it makes no logical sense as to where you draw the line. I couldn't agree with you more. It's actually discriminatory um, because not all people go to a four-year university or, or whatnot. Right. And and again, and, you know, it's interesting, Julian, I appreciate your perspective. You, you said, you know, you, you're still paying back, you know, graduate school. Well, I mean, I think that there's probably a lot of people out there who, who didn't couldn't get into graduate school because they couldn't afford it or didn't have those opportunities or whatever, who are sitting there saying, why— why should I have to pay, no offense, but why should I have to pay you know, for, for Julie to go to graduate school or for Jeff to go to law school or for somebody else to go to medical school? And it's a really tough question to, to answer. I mean, why should those people, somebody else have to pay for that decision? They're 100% correct. Yeah. That's an individual decision that I made and that you made and yeah. that, you know, other Americans make, and it's an individual responsibility to pay back the loans you take out. I, I agree. Th- thanks for call. And and for those of us who took out student loans to. Now, I went through college without student loans, but I, I took out some student loans to go to law school, paid them all back. My late wife, who I went to met in law school, you know, she, same sort of thing. We, we, paid them, we paid them all back. So my question is, okay, where do I get my 10000 bucks? I mean, I'm, why, and, and if so, why, why am I not entitled to $10,000 times two? Because we paid off our student loans. Why am I not entitled to that? All right, we're going to pick it up right there because I think— this is one of these issues where it's very, very volatile. It may or may not happen. There's a lot of pressure on Biden to do it, but I think he recognizes that there are political pitfalls to this. We're going to explore that more. So we'll continue the conversation in just a moment. All right. I have good news. It looks, from me viewing the traffic cameras, like they have just opened up the freeway at, at Holt Avenue. Um <laughs> It's just a question of of timing. So for the last, well, I mean, I've been sitting here for an hour and a half. Traffic has been slowly forced every all traffic into the right lane, and they've been forcing people off at Holt Avenue um, up until just about like two minutes ago. Now it appears they have opened it up. So 
I, I mean, I, I got some people are probably thinking, gosh, I've been sitting in this and I got diverted off. Um, now they've just opened it up. But it appears that um, the investigation has completed itself and looks like the freeway is open. At least that's what it looks like to me. Um, we'll have an update in just a couple minutes, but that's good. It's been closed for the better part of three or four hours. Still heavy backups just because of what's been going on. All right, 855-616-1620. If you're just tuning in, here, here's the deal. Joe Biden has been under a lot of pressure to forgive student loans. Up, Elizabeth Warren's plan was up to $50,000. Well, I think that a lot of moderate Democrats are saying this is just, this is suicide. It's electoral suicide, plus it's wrong. So um, on a on September 1st is when the moratorium that's been going on for over two years on student loan payments, that that ends. So people now have to start making payments again. Biden is apparently, according to The Washington Post, considering forgiving $10,000 for almost all student loan borrowers. The cost would be $230 billion. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to Meg in Milwaukee. Meg, good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon. Um, I am one of the people who would benefit from this. And I think that the problem is not that I want someone to give me $10,000. What I want is I want them to revamp the system so that they fairly credit us for the amount of money we have paid. I have been paying this loan off for 20 to, for 20 years and guess what? It has never decreased. And that's because the system that they have for collecting the money is in my opinion it's it's just it's corrupt. Mm-hmm. Make if you you know now so see I, you, no no I you, like. you raise an interesting point. See instead of student loan forgiveness, what I think they should be talking about is for example, restructuring the interest rates on the loans, which is my guess is why, you know, your, your balance hasn't gone down very much, to uh, allow people to refinance the loans at closer to like market rate interest and things like that, which would make a, a big difference instead of people paying 12 or 15 or 18 percent interest or whatever some of the interest rates they're paying now are is. Yes, that would be helpful. See, what happens is if your personal situation changed, like mine changed from when I first took out the loan, then all of a sudden you're in a different financial situation. You want to pay them back, but you can't help that your financial situation changed. Right. Right. No, I understand. No, th- thanks. And, I, and I'm not. Look, I, I'm not arguing that the system is is perfect. Like I say, to me, if you were to say, "All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to we're going to look at restructuring the interest rates or things like that," I think that would be perfectly reasonable, as opposed to simply saying you're going to get forgiveness. Okay, more calls in just a minute, but I'm swamped with text. Jeff, in addition to all the mainstream reasons for not forgiving student loan debt, I think it's an awful idea because it would fuel already raging inflation when those forgiven their debt would suddenly start spending all the windfall discretionary income no longer going towards the loan payments. Well, that's absolutely correct. That's why we're in the inflation mess that we're in now is because you had all this free, free quote unquote, money that the government gave out that people have spent. Yeah, if you suddenly take $240, 230000000000 billion, wipe, and again, it, you're not wiping that off the books. The taxpayers are going to have to pick up the tab for it, but now everybody's got that extra money to spend. The, the estimates, the conservative estimates are that any any inflationary reduction that we would see through this Inflation Reduction Act, it, it would be more than eaten up by 
that. Um, 855-616-1620. We helped our son get degrees without taking out loans. Do we get a check for $10,000? Well, I think that's a, that's a fair question about it. Um, that's it, Jeff. Uh, to the takers in society, awesome. My neighbor's daughter voted for Biden specifically for this reason, pay off her student loan debt. She got out of college as a pharmacist, um, $70,000 a year. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. What are you going to give what are you going to give for me? Jeff, I'm just wondering, could you possibly have the government remove $10,000 from my charge cards as well? Well, yeah, absolutely. How about that? Or those of you who have car loans that are out there? All right, maybe, you know, maybe we'll just have the government forgive $10,000 um, with this. Jeff, I think Biden needs to proceed with caution. Um, it, it's a very transparent plan to secure college-age voters with a huge giveaway. You're going to, however, alienate the rest of us, both on the left and the right who have always paid their own way right you treat everybody like they are all day suckers that that's just the the reality of this you paid your loans back you're a sucker you um you worked hard you forgo you forgo what we had you didn't you decided to forgo things so that you know your kids didn't have to go into debt so you can pay for that you're you're a sucker you took out the loans and then you paid them back you're you're a sucker i'm hearing from a number of people who even though they haven't had to make their student loan payments over the last two years, they've done it anyways because they they weren't affected by the pandemic. They kept working. You know, there was no significant thing. They're sitting there saying, well, wait a minute, you know, what, what what's going on? You know, why should we not have this happened. Jeff, I've never voted Republican until the last election. It was based on this exact topic. I feel so strongly against this, and I never had student loans. My ex-wife did. She paid them off herself by working extra hour and jobs. If he wants to just give $10,000 to people, lessen the money sent to foreign countries and give every true citizen in this country, you know, over 18, another $10,000. Well, that's, you know, that that is the, the factor of this. This is just, to me, it's wrong on so many levels. And how do you look at how do you look at the people that made the decision not to go to school? Okay, they made a decision not to go to school and, and maybe would have liked to hang out in college for a while but decided they couldn't afford it. You know, how how do you look at them and say, well, okay, we're we're just going to give this benefit to everybody else? And by the way, what does this do moving forward? I mean, th- that's another question that you have. I mean, what is the expectation moving forward? What about the people that are taking out loans to go to college this year? I mean, is there going to be an expectation that five years from now the federal government's going to come in and we're going to have, you know, Joe Biden in his second term and, and he's going to forgive another, you know, $10,000 or fifteen or $20,000? Jeff, I paid my student loans off many years ago. I can't wait for President Biden to send me my 10000 check dollar check to reimburse me. I'm waiting for the same thing. Like like I say, I I I forget what our student loans were, maybe fifteen grand. I forget. My late wife's I think it was a little bit more to more than that. I'm I'll be waiting for my check. And again, I if you want to talk about relief and you want to talk about readjusting the interest rates or things, I'm I'm very open to that. I think that that's a fair sort of situation. But just to forget all this property, um, don't don't do it. I'm a sucker, Jeff. I don't like the loan forgiveness either uh, plan either. 
Yeah, well, that's kind of it. Jeff, I'm retired living on Social Security. Will I get $10,000 or will I need to take out a loan to get free money? Well, that's a very good question. I mean, what what's the idea? Is it maybe you take out a loan for $10,000, a student loan, and then you spend it on all sorts of other things, which, by the way, some, some people do. Um, you spend it on something else, and then you just wait around for the loan forgiveness. John in Milwaukee. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Hi. Hey. What do you think? Oh, I just think you're comparing apples to oranges, Jeff. Um, the, the car loan comes with certain protections and, you know, certainties. A student loan doesn't come with that. I'm sorry, I don't understand. A, a, a bank loan, a car loan, they come with borrower protection. You can, you can file bankruptcy if you can't afford that. You can't do that with a student loan. So we can't sit and say that borrowing a bank loan and borrowing a student loan are the same thing. I'm sorry, I'm still not understanding your point. It, it, it's a loan. It, are you saying because you, you get your four-year, you get money that you use to go to school, so, but I, I don't. I guess I don't understand the, the point you're trying to make. Yes, I understand an education a, is different than a car, but what? So what? It's still money you borrowed. What do you mean protections? Correct. You can file bankruptcy for a car. You can get a car repoed. Yeah. You, you have no protection as a student loan borrower. That's all I'm saying, Jeff. Oh, but I guess I what. what what is what is the point that you're you're trying to make? So you you go to school, you you get the loan, you take it out, you you go to school, you get your degree. Tell me why you shouldn't have to pay that loan back. I don't believe you shouldn't have to pay it back. I believe that the system needs to be revamped, as your other caller said, to provide protections for new student loan borrowers, so that their financial situation changes, they don't go into more debt with increasing interest. Well, again, okay. Well, if your if your point is, you know, we 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 can figure out how to renegotiate the the interest loans. I, again, I'm 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 open to that, but nobody holds a gun to your head and says, "Hey, you you have to you got to go to Yale, <laughs> you know, and you, and you have to borrow money to do that." You know, you make that decision that you're going to take out the loan to to do that. And it is your obligation to repay it. It's not my obligation to repay your loan. It's not the people who are living on fixed incomes. It's not their obligation to repay that loan. You got the benefit of the deal. You, you, got, you got to go to school. You know, maybe you came out and you didn't get a job. I, I don't know. But that, that's, not, that's not my problem. That's not the problem of the people living on fixed income. It, it's the thing that you had to make that decision, just like you, you buy the car and it, it turns out to be a lemon or you lose your job and you can't afford it. Yet, yes, you can have the car repossessed, but you're still going to owe the balance of, of that loan if there's any, you know, if if they repossess the car and you still owe, you know, another couple thousand dollars, you're still going to be on the hook for, for that overage. Bottom line is this idea that we're just going to have the taxpayers, you know, bail out. And, and by the way, it's... 
It's not even like a need-based thing. Uh, and there's a lot of people who can afford to make those student loan payments. You know, they're, they're, they're working. They're lawyers or, or they're doctors or they're insurance agents or they're salespeople and they're doing fine. It's not like they're all underwater. This is just a giant, giant, massive giveaway of taxpayer dollars. It's going to be inflationary. It is grossly unfair. And if Joe Biden does it, my guess is for every one person he makes happy, assuming you're able to legally do it. And like I said at the beginning of this conversation, I I don't understand. I I don't understand under what theory a president can just simply wave his magic wand and say, we're just going to automatically forgive and forget about $10,000 a piece to the tune of $230 million. It would seem to me if you do that, you, you need to do this thing like go through Congress. But I understand that the last three presidents, at least, haven't felt encumbered to have to do that. But inevitably, there'll be lawsuits. But the bottom line is, look, you, you have the loan, you have the obligation, pay it off, just like so many other people did. We are almost there. WTMJ is packing its bags and heading downtown. Matter of fact, um, not the on-air people, but the content people, the non-content people, the folks that like our marketer, marketing folks and our sales folks and all that, they are moving downtown uh, this Friday, I think, is what I saw. Wisconsin's radio station moving to the avenue in the heart of downtown Milwaukee. The avenue is vibrant, exciting, plus you'll be able to come by and see us. Once the studios are finished, come see our entire team this fall. WTMJ's Move to the Avenue is sponsored by Coakley Brothers and Brothers Interior, the official moving and furniture provider of GKB Milwaukee. I I made a a reference to this yesterday, and a couple people reacted to it, and I did just wanted to revisit it quickly. Um, One of the breaking news items yesterday was that Rembert Weekland, who for 25 years was the Archbishop of the Milwaukee Catholic Diocese, he passed away at the age of, of 95. And I think it is fair to say that during his tenure, which ran from 1977 to 2002, he was an incredibly controversial figure. Weekland was very, very liberal and spent the, the a good part of the, the time as archbishop kind of fighting against the, the Catholic orthodoxy. He questioned the church bans on abortion and birth control and divorce. He challenged the Vatican's insistence on celibacy for an all-male priesthood. He was very, very aggressive in trying to bring about sort of social change, and, and it created whether you agreed with him or not, it created these huge rifts. So he was very, very controversial. It also turns out that in 1998, he took $450,000 in church money and used it in what's described as hush money to pay off a a former lover of his, male lover, who was going to, to go public about this. And of course, once that all came out, um, he ended up resigning in disgrace. Then, you know, this was also kind of at the height of the, the Catholic Church's, you know, pedophile priest scandal and stuff, and it, it came out subsequently that um, the archbishop had um, allowed sexually abusive priests to continue working 
without informing parishioners of their history. And in some cases, he, you know, it was one of those things where you, you got this rumor, or the, the word is that this is going on with one priest, and what they would do is they would move the priest and shuttle him to some other parish without telling, you know, the people at the new parish what was involved. So it, it ended up becoming quite a scandal. And so, again, Weakland's history is very, very, I think, conflicted would be a fair way to say it. He was, for good or bad, he was a militant reformer, or at least who tried to bring about reforms of the Catholic Church. At the same time, he was also a gross enabler of some of the things that I think continue to haunt the Catholic Church to this day. So he resigned in disgrace in 2002. More stuff came out subsequently. Um, In any event, he passed away at the age of 95. Um, Again, somebody who was just, if you were in Milwaukee or in southeastern Wisconsin, during his his tenure from the mid seventies through the early or through like two thousand two, it's impossible to understate the influence that he ended up having. Passed away yesterday at the age of ninety five. A lot of stuff coming up in the two o'clock hour of the program. Do not go anywhere. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Alex Croy, I've got a got a current events or semi-current events quiz that I want to give you. Actually, during the break, I get a text from my wife, and she's out to lunch with a couple of her friends, and she's sending me, like, drink mess, drink the drink menus from the <laughs> restaurant she's at. And I'm like, okay, what is the possible purpose of, of this? Yeah, it looks like that. that's a really good old-fashioned, it looks like they have there, <laughs> but nothing I can do about it. Okay, so I, I've got... And, and so for people, when, when I do this, it's actually kind of not fair because some people might think that I tell you the questions I'm going to ask in advance, and I, <laughs> I don't do that, right? Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. So, so this is it. But this is it. It is a current events quiz for you. Six months ago tomorrow, mm-hmm. what happened? Invasion of Ukraine. Bing, bing, bing. Look there we at go. The, <laughs> look at the big brain on Alex. Yeah, how, how time passes. But right, six months ago tomorrow, um, February 24th, 2022, yeah. Russia invaded Ukraine. And of course, the, the Russian thinking was that this is going to be two or three days and we're mm-hmm. going to take over everything. And now it's kind of bogged into a war of attrition. And if you look at some of the, the latest stories, they're suggesting that the mo- momentum is actually against Russia. And now there, there's, you know, bombs going off behind Russian lines and things like this. Yeah, I think a lot of people thought that uh, there was a good chance that Kiev might be under a different control this time uh, when when that war started. You know what I mean? It seemed like the Russians were going straight for the capital. They had some sort of game plan, and uh, the Ukrainians really threw a wrench in those plans. Well, right. And this is turn. And, and the other thing, I think the interesting story to me about this is Putin succeeded in doing something that I did not think was possible. He essentially united the West against him. I mm-hmm. mean, you, you had all, whether it's France or Germany, you had all these different countries that had, you know, that were kind of feuding with themselves economically, and, and everybody has come together, and everybody has been able to, I think, maintain that alliance through six months, which is just amazing. That's one of the big things that you've heard about this so far, is kind of that alliance, which is held, so not only held, but it has grown. NATO has added more members. Right, and- Sweden. Finland. Yeah, yeah. And, they, and they've kind of divested from Russian forms of energy as well, or at least started to do so, which is something they were trying to do, but hadn't really been able to convince themselves to do so far. So it seems like the West and Europe in particular, a lot of those countries, you're right, are holding strong together. All right. So that was six months ago today. Okay. So you got that one. All right. Here, <laughs> here, here's the other one. Two years ago 
today, August 23rd, 2020. What yeah, happened? that was the uh, Jacob Blake shooting. That was when Jacob Blake was shot by a police officer in Kenosha. First night of the Kenosha riots. Mm-hmm. First night of what turned out to be the, the three nights of the Kenosha riots. And, of course, on the third night, you had the Kyle Rittenhouse situation and all that. But, right, I'm telling you, you, you were just loaded for bear on <laughs> I it today. I don't know if you remember, but uh, I, I was rolling through my phone and ended up seeing that video on Twitter pop up. And it said Kenosha. And I just you know had a feeling like, mm, this isn't going to be one that uh, blows over. This is going to be big time. Right. And as a matter of fact, there's um, a, a press conference that, that Tim Michaels and uh, Eric Tony, who's running for attorney general, that they had down in Kenosha today, um, again, marking the two-year anniversary and, and being with being critical of, of like Evers and Mandela Barnes's response. I think Ron Johnson was down there. But yeah, two, that was two years ago today. It, in some respects, when some of these things happen, it seems like it's just sometimes it seems like it's forever. I mean, it, it seems it seems longer to me than six months since yeah. Russia invaded the yeah. U- U- Ukraine, and in some respects, it seems shorter than two years that that you had the Kenosha riots. That's because just think of everything that's gone on since then. Yeah, and of course, the Kenosha riots are uh, coming up again in the political cycle again this right. year, like you said. So that two-year anniversary, but also that's been a bit of a heavy theme so far in a lot of those statewide races, which will probably still be a, a heavy theme oh, until November. Oh, you know, there's no question about it. And then, of course, we're coming up quickly on September 11th. And, you know, I will always, September 11th this year, I think is a Sunday. So probably on that Friday, we'll do a show. But now this is probably before your time. But I mean, do you do you have vivid memories of September 11th, 2001 or not really? You're I, too young. I do. Yeah, because I was uh, I was going to a uh, Catholic school at the time. So it was obviously a smaller school, but they had to come over the announcement, uh, come over the PA system, make some sort of announcement. And, you know, teachers are kind of whispering amongst each other as to what's going on. And you're a kid, so you're not getting the full load down as it's happening. But you start to see this stuff later on in the day and kind of put what, pieces what grade, together. What, what grade were you in? I want to say I was in third grade at okay, the time. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. right, right around there. You know what I mean. And you no, I do. And you will always remember it. There are certain there are certain events, and that, that you always remember where where you were. I was I was in first grade the day that uh, John F. Kennedy was was assassinated. Oh, okay. And it's and it, it's actually the, the same thing. I can remember. You know, you're in class, and 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 the, the teachers all of a sudden, you know, come together, and then there's this conversation, and then they cancel school. And I remember that weekend where you you know everybody's just watching their black and white television sets. That mm-hmm. was back in the day of that, <laughs> as, as they're showing the funeral. And of course, the, the the first man walking on the moon, Neil Armstrong walking on the moon. That's something vividly that stands in your mind. September 11th is one of those days as well, and that's that's coming up. That'll be um, you know 20 with 21 years coming yeah. up. Up in just a couple weeks. Yeah, I think the Jacob Blake one will definitely be one for me, scrolling through and seeing that video and kind of realizing, okay, this is going to be something that happens. And you're right, this was the first night even right away. There was unrest right off the bat oh, yeah. in that neighborhood through the night, and it just swelled and escalated and grew from there to the point where none of us really knew exactly when it was going to stop or how bad it was going to get. Right. So that was, uh, again, that's two years ago today. This was the, the first day of the Kenosha riots, unrest, whatever you want to call it. And tomorrow, six months since you, Russia invaded Ukraine. Look at the big brain on Alex Crow. <laughs> when we come back, would you pay for this? I'll explain. We'll discuss. Can't go wrong. I like that bumper music, Smuggler's Blues by Glenn Fry. All right. For years and years, employers have realized that 
Um, sometimes, if you've got a nationwide company, for example, you need to make cost of living adjustments. By that, I mean if you have two people that are doing the same job, but one is living in New York City and somebody else is living in Manitowoc, Wisconsin, they're, they're essentially doing the same job. A lot of times, the person who lives in New York City will be paid more in what they call a cost-of-living adjustment because it costs a lot more to live in New York City than it does in, in Manitowoc. So even though people are doing the same job, it's to get the people to to work in New York that, because the cost of living is so high, whereas maybe you can get an apartment for $1,000 in Manitowoc, it's going to be $3,000 in New York. You have to pay the person more in New York. That's just the reality. That's, that, that's what they've done in making these sort of cost-of-living sort of things that are out there. Since the pandemic started, one of the things, and we've talked about this before, that happened is the amount of people working at home increased dramatically. In many cases, they didn't have any choices. The offices just flat out shut down. And so if you were going to work, you, you worked at home. And now we know that lots of people like that. Well, more employers are trying to get people to come back to the office, and there a lot of employees are saying, no, we don't want to come back to the office. You know, we, we're productive. We don't need to do that. You know, we're happy here. And so there's this tension that is developing. Um, the Wall Street Journal has an estimate. They say that according to some of these studies that are out there, they believe that about 30 percent of all paid workdays are still being done from home. So like three out of 10 are, are being done from home. And that, of course, includes people who are working full-time still from home, people who are back on the partial schedules, and people who aren't allowed to work at home anyways. So if you are working remotely, there is a value to that. There are certain expenses that you, you do not have. For example, um, you don't have the expense of having to commute. So let's say you're let, let's say, just for the sake of my example here, you you know commute downtown, downtown Milwaukee, and you live in, in Wauwatosa or whatever. So or you live in Waukesha. So you've got the mileage that, on your car. You've got the gas. Let's say that your job downtown doesn't come with paid parking, so you've got to pay to park your car. Maybe you have to, you know, you go out to lunch a couple times a week, so you've got those bills. It, it costs you money to commute to work. That, that's just the, the reality of that. Maybe you need to have a, a clothing allowance. Maybe even if it's a business casual sort of thing, you, you, you have to dress in a certain way and you got to take your clothes to the dry cleaner or, or whatever. There are expenses that are involved with commuting and, and working in the office that you don't have if you if you get to stay home from a daycare perspective perhaps um, you know maybe that's a deal where you um, under normal circumstances you would be taking the kids to daycare but if you're working from home you don't have to do that that's a huge expense that you get to avoid maybe you take your dog to doggy daycare or whatever and you don't you don't have to do that you save all these different expenses by being able to work a- at home plus you, you get to work at home. Anyhow, this is it's a trend that is kind of catching on. And, you know, people are, are reluctant to try to be forced back to the office. And in a tight labor market, the employers, who in many cases would very much like to have everybody back in the office, they're, they're wrestling with this balance because if they say, okay, you need to come back, 
um, and you say, well, no, I'm not going to come back. Can they, they really replace you? How do they work it out? And that's this kind of, um, again, kabuki dance that employers and employees are doing. But there's an interesting piece in the Wall Street Journal, which bake, working on the premise that I just set down is that you – you save money by not having to commute. You can save money by working at home for all those various reasons. So the story is that some employers are saying to their employees, if you want to work at home because you, you think it has a better quality of life, plus you save on commuting costs and office wardrobe and other expenses, we're going to let you do that. But... But we think that you should take a cut in pay. We think that you should not be able to pocket those savings. Now, the estimates kind of vary, but again, somewhere 7% is kind of like the number that they, that they throw around. Many economists estimate that the value to teleworkers amounts to about 7% of their earnings. And again, I understand it's going to be more for some people and less than others, but just for the sake of argument, let's let's say that that 7% number is, is viable. So if your employer came to you and said, okay, you want to work at home, we're going to let you work at home, but instead of paying you $100 a day to work at home, we're going to pay you $90 a day or $93 a day. You're going to have to take a cut in pay because your fellow co-workers who aren't working at home, who are coming in, you know, they're absorbing these extra costs. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would you accept less money to work at home? And if so, how much less money would, would it be? 855 5%, 10%, 15%? Would it be worth it to work at home to make less dough? We discuss in just a moment. 855 I, I just, I think there, there's so many things going on that are just so very, very interesting. And, and as we come into the post-COVID world, one of the things is lots of people worked at home over the course of the last couple of years, and they like it, and they don't want to give it up. There is, of course, a, there, there's a value to staying a, at home, whether it's saving money on child care, saving, avoiding the, the cost of the commute, saving money on maybe on dog care, you know, not having to, not having to go out and buy office clothes and take it to the dry cleaners. There, there is, there is a, a savings that is associated with this. And some employers are now trying to claw that back. They're saying, okay, you want to work at home, that's fine. But, you know, that that extra 5 or 7 or 10% that you are saving because you don't have to spend out, you don't have to spend the money to come in, we expect you to work for less. And there, there's now this huge <clears throat> fight that's going on. 855-616-1620. And my question is, would you do this? You know, would you, if you wanted to work from home, would you take less money to do it? Jeff, the companies are saving money also, less desk space, less power costs. And what about that high downtown rent cost? I think this is a win-win-win. Jeff, I would have to disagree with a pay cut. Reason being, there are more than likely overhead reduction, workman's comp insurance equipment, workspace reduction, and energy costs associated, lower turnout. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a productivity increase as well. You know, maybe, and, and that's going to be, I think, one of the things that plays out with, like, downtown office space moving forward that are 
you know, have some of these companies overbuilt. You know, you got four floors in a downtown office building because that's what it was three years ago. Are those people coming back? Jeff, with that logic, some companies should pay more to those working at home when they are saving money because of those savings. Um, There's that. Jeff, there's also an expense to working at home, heating and cooling your home when you would normally dial the thermostat back. You know, maybe it ends up being a wash. No, I don't think it's necessarily a wash. I think you save money by working at home. Jeff, um, to me, it's a complete cost-benefit and cost-basis analysis. How much does it cost to go to work versus staying at home and working? My guess is I think about 10% is kind of what the sweet spot is. Jeff, I would gladly take less money to work from home. However, it sounds like a ridiculous idea. If many of my coworkers drive a heavy-duty diesel pickup to work every day and I drive a Prius, should I get paid? less because it costs me less to get there. I think pay should be based on the amount of work that ends up being performed. Jeff, I wouldn't accept less, but I would be in favor of rewarding those who work at the office. My son-in-law lives in Michigan. His company is looking at a compensation program for those who come into the office. I'm not sure on the exact number of days that are involved, but for every certain number of days they come into the office, they are awarded an extra personal day or a vacation day. It seems to be popular in theory, and to me it sounds like a reasonable answer to this dilemma. Jeff, employers are begging for employees and now they want to pay less. Nope, the employers will just go somewhere else to the employees will just go somewhere else to work for more money. I, I think that's a fair comment, especially with the tight labor market that, that's out there now where it's still it's still pretty much a, a buyer's market from their uh, – the seller's market, that is, from this perspective of, of the employees. And a lot of the jobs – hey, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I, I code medical stuff, information. And if the place where I – and I can do it from anywhere and I'm used to doing it at home. And so if this particular medical facility doesn't want to pay me and expects me to take a cut in pay to work at home, then I'm going to go over to the ACME you know, medical facility and I'm going to do the same thing. So I, I – right now, I think that that's kind of a tough sell. But I mean, at the same time, I think there is a huge advantage to, for most people, if you have that option and you can work at home and you can do it productively, I think that that's going to be a battle. And employers are going to have to figure out what they can do if they want to make employees come back. And I think that there's just certain limits on that. But paying them less money, not sure that that's going to work out, at least in the short run. Well, this is an interesting development. Um, for years and years, if you would have asked me my, my favorite, Jeff, you're, you're going to go out for a steak dinner. Which, which, what's your favorite place? And there's a lot of great places around. Carnivore downtown is a great place. A lot of good steak restaurants that are there. You've got the five o'clock club or corpers or whatever. But for, for me, my, my go-to place, my favorite place was a place called Jackson Grill, which was on 37th and Mitchell, kind of by Miller Park. And it's, I always used to tell people when I would recommend it is that it's, it's in, in the middle of, it's in the heart of this industrial neighborhood. And it's, it's a little tiny place in, and if, if you pull up, it kind of looks like, like a corner tap. Is what it is, and and you would never think that it's like a high end steakhouse. But I always say, look, just park on the street, go in, and and you won't be disappointed. 
And I, I never was. It was one of my very favorite places to go, and we would go there on, on special occasions. And and what happened is um, a, a while back, the the owner, um, Jimmy Jackson, he he passed away, and his wife um, Heidi Schmidt, um, she was she was like the she she ran everything on the, on the floor, and, and Jimmy was the cook. And and what happened is they 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 didn't reopen after COVID because of a variety of things. And so I've, I've always, I mean, I've missed it. Like I say, this is my favorite go-to place. Local newspaper is reporting that there's um, there's now a plan to reopen it. The uh, guy who helps run the fourth base on 51st and National, Andrew Radjenovich, who opens the saloon on Calhoun, he's, he's apparently in the process of getting ready to buy the building and the restaurant with an idea towards reopening it and trying to I keep pretty much the same menu. That would be a very, very cool thing. If you go into um, uh, the Jackson Grill, it, it was a place where Bob Euchre would hang out and, and Bud Selig would hang out. Like I say, it's very it, it's close to County Stadium, where County Stadium was. It's close to Miller Park. And if you go in, they've got, like, signed plaques all over the walls and all. And I, and I always remember the folks that own Jackson Grill, they were, they were big fans of the show. And I said, well, what, you know, what do I have to do to get a plaque of mine up on the wall? And they said, play baseball. <laughs> you know, it's okay, well, so that, that ship is going to sail. But this would be good news. Um, so many great restaurants have closed or are in the process of closing that if you could figure out a way to, to save that great restaurant, that would be nice. All right. The final Jeopardy answer is almost 10 million. Almost 10 million. The question is, how many people watched HBO's House of the Dragon premiere on Sunday night? Now, for those of you who might not be familiar with this, one of the most successful shows on, on cable television in the last couple decades was was HBO's Game of Thrones, which was based on the, the George Martin books, and it ran for, for several years. I, I have to confess, I, I watched the first year and then didn't watch anything after that on Games of Thrones because I, I, I always intended to read the books. I read the first book and then didn't read any of the other ones, and I didn't I didn't want to watch the show before I, I saw the book. So I, I, I just had a limited knowledge of Game of Thrones. And candidly, I, I haven't gotten around to reading the, the books, and I'm not sure I'm ever going to do it, maybe, maybe sometime when I have a lot of time. But but Game of Thrones was this huge, huge success for HBO. And obviously they're trying to you know recreate that, that success. And with HBO— Ratings really don't matter because it's a streaming service. It's nice to have ratings, but what you want is you want the subscribers. So that that's the idea. You want to attract. You want to offer programming that attracts the sub- subscribers. So this this House of the Dragon is. It's it's a prequel, so it's kind of a backstory of some of the characters that were featured in Game of Thrones, and it it gets really arcane and things like that. But it, it's the backstory, and it's set two hundred years earlier. Um, so there was a big question about you know what, what's going to go on with this, and the reviews. Some reviews were really good, some were kind of sort of lukewarm about this. But according to HBO, that they say about ten million people 
watched this premiere. Now, that includes the multiple showings on HBO, and it includes streaming on their streaming service, HBO Max. But this is, it's, it's one of their, I mean, big, big hits. Now, to give you an idea, the final season of Game of Thrones, that season's premiere drew about the 18 million, so so a lot more. But 10 million is still just a huge huge number for something like this, and, and lots of people were, in fact, tuned in. I, I, I wasn't. Like I say, I, I just, I, I didn't watch, didn't watch the, beyond the first season, didn't watch the Game of Thrones, and even though it was on multiple times, and even though I have HBO and I stream HBO Max, it, it's not something that appealed to me, but yet I know that there were 10 million people plus out there. So this has the potential, if the audience builds from where it was on Sunday. And by the way, the, the numbers are going to increase because they're going to re, they're, I'm sure they're replaying it, you know, every night this night on, on HBO. And of course, you can go and stream it anytime you want on HBO Max. So that 10 million, that, that's just the, the first night number. My guess is it's going to be a lot larger as you move forward. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here is my question. If you were one of the 10 million people plus that have have watched this this prequel was it worth the hype is this something that's going to be a huge success or I mean, again, HBO is hoping that this is a franchise. They're hoping, okay, we're going to run this one, and then we've got all these other you know, prequels and sequels and stuff in the works. We're, we're hoping that we're going to turn this into this giant franchise, which is going to drive all the revenue and cause people to want to subscribe to, to our, our streaming channel. We think that this might be one of the saviors of HBO, because HBO is dealing with some financial issues now. Is it going to be that? 855-616-1620. I confess I didn't see it. I confess that I'm not sure unless people tell me this is just the greatest thing since canned beer that I'm going to spend time watching it because a little of that kind of broadcast goes the, a long way. But what if you were one of these people that watched it, was it worth all the hype? And is this going to be the next Harry Potter franchise or the next Jurassic Park franchise. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Is that Game of Thrones? That Charlie's nodding his head. See, I don't even know that. I just, I just, I, I watched the first year of Game of Thrones. Um, John Hyatt and, and uh, Lyle Lovett coming to the Paps. I am a huge John Hyatt fan. Matter of fact, um, every morning when I'm getting ready for the show, I'm in my office and I have my iTunes and I generally I'll go on kicks where I'm listening to different artists. And John Hyatt's been my artist of choice for the last week or two. I've got like a, my entire John Hyatt music library is about 140, 150 songs. And I've been through it once or twice. Not tired of it yet. October 16th at the Paps. I may very well be there. All right. 855-616-1620. I, I'm always as, as a fan of pop culture, I'm always trying to stay ahead of the curve um, for for these things. And on, on Sunday night, HBO, which has been struggling a, a little bit, um, HBO rolled out its a uh, prequel to um, to Game of Thrones, which was its last really really huge hit. Um, the prequel is called House of the Dragon, and and they say the first week, at least just the first day, it drew about between streaming and people watching it on cable, it drew about 10 million, which is a very very big number that will only go up as more people watch it during the week. The question is going to be. Is, is it sustainable? I mean, is it going to be something that people, okay, you watched the first night because you were a Game of Thrones fan, um, 
Is it going to be something that people come back to day after day, week after week, which will tell you whether or not it's um, it's uh, great? All right. Uh, uh, let's see, Jeff, I'm probably a subjective personal taste matter. I didn't watch it um, because I'm not into medieval fantasy, um, just like lots of people probably aren't into comic book movies. Uh, Jeff, a friend of mine thought the violence and blood wetletting was way too much. Yeah, I understand it's uh, Game of Thrones, at least the first season that I watched, was not for the squeamish. Jeff, my husband was hoping I'd like it. I hated it. Laugh out loud. Yeah, I've been there before. You know, you say, boy, I really like this, honey. I hope you really like it. This is something we can watch together. You know, no. Or more often, it's the flip side. My wife will say, here, I I really like this particular show. Here, won't you watch it with me? And 10 minutes into it, it's kind of like, oh, my goodness gracious. Um, I don't think so. Um, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, People are saying, well... You know, uh, it's the violence that I think turned a lot of people off on this. And, that you know, that's going to be the challenge. And from the perspective of HBO, they, they hope they have a hit on their hands. And they hope it's the thing that will, again, sustain people and make people want to subscribe to the service. Whether or not this is the case, don't know. I'm not convinced that I'm going to be watching it anytime soon, but it's out there. It's the great thing about TV shows. There's so much stuff that's there. All right, let, let's switch gears. Before we turn it over to uh, John and Melissa, one, one story from the world of sports. Uh, t- this week is the final Packers preseason game, and one of the big questions has been whether or not you play the starters. Now, this year, in, in years past, there's been four exhibition games. This year, there are only three, and then there's like two weeks off before the, the season starts. Uh, the Packers coach, Matt LaFleur, has, for, I think every year he's been the coach except for his first year, he has religiously declined to play his starters in the exhibition games. Uh, the idea being, hey, they're, they're just exhibition games, and, and I don't want to have one of my starters get injured you know, in a game that's absolutely meaningless and lose them for six games or worse yet, the whole season. And in particular— um, Aaron Rodgers, you know, ha- hasn't played during the preseason. The running backs haven't played during the, the preseason. Very few of the starters have played. I guess some of the potential starters on the offensive line played a little bit. So the question well, is, are you going to change that plan? Now, keep in mind, last year with the well, for, forget forget the pos- forget the the flop against San Francisco in the playoff game. If you remember opening day, Packers opened against New Orleans and just got slaughtered. I, I think it was clearly their worst performance during the regular season. And a lot of people were saying, well, okay, this is this is perhaps because you didn't play any of the starters or, or for any intents and purposes, the starters, or at least most of the starters, did not play. They didn't play together during the exhibition season, and as a result, they, they weren't ready to play, and that's why you ended up losing that game. At least that's what the theory was that was out there. So the question for the game coming up later on this week, Thursday night, is were the Packers going to play any of the starters? Would they change anything as a result of what happened last year? And the decision is apparently in. Matt LaFleur has said that he is not going to be playing any starters 
on Thursday night that he hasn't played in the previous two preseason games. So um, I think that means on defense, one of the rookies is going to to play. Um, so that's it, and maybe a couple members of the offensive line. But any of the the skilled players, Aaron Rodgers, the vast majority of the defensive starters, with the exception of one rookie, he's made the decision that he's going to sit them. And his rationale is, well, I, I you know I just I don't want to take the risk that somebody is going to get hurt. Now, some people, again, might criticize him for this, and I understand what happened last year. But, you know, if I were him, I would be doing exactly the same thing. I mean, it's, if you if you take one of the players, the, the Packers are legitimate Super Bowl contenders this year, along with some other teams. And if you, you know, trot one of the wide receivers out or you trot, trot some of the, the running backs out or Aaron Rodgers out, and, and what happens is in some sort of freak play, they get hurt, hit and hurt, and they blow out the knee, and they're gone for the year, and you know th- that changes the whole dynamic. And I understand football players, you know, any given play, they, they can get injured. Look at David Bakhtiari; he got hurt in practice. I mean, it wasn't even a game that he got hurt, and he's been out, you know, for a year plus now. But but you get that whole scenario. The chances of getting hurt are much more likely if you are again in a game sort of scenario. If I was the coach of the Packers with a meaningless game coming up on Thursday, no way and you know what do I play any any of my starters I just flat out don't take the risk because nobody really cares what happens on Thursday night I mean no fan cares what happens on Thursday night obviously it's a big deal for some of the players who are trying to make the team but you know okay figure out who your your second or third string defensive lineman is or cornerback or who's going to play on the special teams who those extra players are that that's a fair reason for the exhibition game but I think he would be out of his mind if he played any of the people he's going to depend on in the regular season for the game on Thursday night. And he's obviously not out of his mind because he made the decision not to. 